Hey folks, welcome to this edition of As I See It. Um, as the background might indicate, I am in Ensenada aboard the Relentless, safely uh, in our slip uh, this morning, this Sunday morning. And we thought it'd be fun to just have a conversation with myself and with our, um, I don't know what you want to call him, our executive co-host. promotions <laughs> co-host, yeah, uh, and uh, Tom uh, Dioro, uh, who's a, just a great guy, and he's also the host of, uh, of I got it, don't worry, don't, don't tell me. It is uh, nothing, there's not nothing wrong. It's all good. It's all good, Newport right? Beach. It's all good, Newport Beach. And he has some yes. really terrific uh, guests on that. So you might want to check out his podcast as well. Well, good morning, Tom. How the heck are you? I'm great, Keith. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you Thank for, you. Uh, as I shared before we got on the show, I'm really honored and privileged to, uh, to be with you on, on As I See It. I really am. Well, the feeling is mutual, Tom. You're a great guy. Thank you. Likewise. Keith, how was your trip down from Newport well, it was, to Ensenada? Here's a, here's a tip. Do not attempt to drive into Mexico, especially at the Tijuana border, on a Friday afternoon. A trip that from Newport Beach to Ensenada should have taken me maybe three and a half hours, took five and a half hours. And it's just a zoo as people try to cross the uh, the border. And incidentally... There were no guards. There was just the traffic. They never stopped. Uh, I saw them pull a couple of people over um, in, in one specific lane, but otherwise it was just everybody got through. You, you couldn't find a guard if, if a bomb went. Oh, I'm sure you would, and I'm, I shouldn't use that expression. But, uh, you know, it's not as though they were checking everybody. It didn't have to produce my passport, and they don't use the global entry cards on the way into Mexico. Is you can right? use it to speed up your return on your way back in the United States. But, you know, in addition to having a passport, it's really a good idea to have one of those global entry cards. You got to go down and get photographed, answer some questions, uh, prove to them you're not a terrorist. Uh, and then it's just a lot easier for, for you to travel. So anyway, uh, don't drive down here on a Friday. I am, I am now at the, um, a marina. Uh, it's called the Coral Marina and the Coral Hotel in Ensenada. It's a kind of a family hotel. The place was packed with families yesterday, weddings and things like that, uh, families having brunch. And uh, we're here in the marina, and we just lucked out and got a really good slip. Uh, so we're very safe, safely uh, tucked in here. Um, and it's a spectacular view. I took a, it's a night. Last night, I'm sitting out in the uh, bow of the boat, and... It's night and the full moon's out. I took a picture and I'm an amateur photographer. I mean, I don't take it seriously at all. But sometimes you just hurt, hit pay dirt without even trying. It's a great photo. It's up on our uh, uh, photo gallery on the website at degreen.com. And I would encourage everybody to take a look at it. So you talk about peace and tranquility. That's it. All right. I've rambled on enough. It's peace and tranquility. You hit pay dirt without even trying. That's an interesting uh, observation and a quote. Uh, oh, oh, you mean with the picture? picture taken? Yes, you know, in life in general, to hit pay dirt without even trying. Well, I'm not sure in life in general you usually hit pay dirt without trying. But <laughs> um, this was, let me put it this way, by accident. It was, it, okay. I think it just turned out to be a really great picture by accident. And professional photographers might look at it and say, nah, it's not so great. I think it's great. Keith, well, the background looks terrific. I don't see anything on Zoom or any other uh, platform as as lovely as what you've got there, really. 
Uh, nice. I'm going to go right into some seriousness for a moment. Or sure. Quite a while. The first Republican presidential debate was held last week. Uh, right. With your, with your degrees in political science and, and law and, a, and a, obviously a, a long history of your political involvement. What's your impression that, uh, I don't know if you want to say each candidate made, but uh, you know, some key candidates made. What's your impression of it? Well, uh, do you want to take them like quickly one candidate at a time, for example? I'll go, I'll go in, I'll go in a row. How about Mike Pence? All right, Mike DeSantis. Pence, yeah. he, first of all, he always looks like his hair is painted on. Have you ever noticed that? It has not changed in Iota uh, since he was uh, vice president, since he was the governor of, what was it, Illinois? Um, or Indiana, I forget what, Indiana, I think it was. Um, I Look, I like Mike Pence because he's a Reagan uh, Republican, uh, and he's true to his principles. Um, I don't think the party, he's not going to go very far, I don't think, in this election, because I don't think the party is ever going to forgive, despite his competence, uh, ever forgive him, not so much for not invalidating votes and doing what Trump asked him to do after the election, but by but for being so sanctimonious about it. Um, you know, he just he did what he felt was his job. He felt he did what he, the Constitution required, uh, required, and boom, you know, full stop. So, you know, good guy, very competent. If another Republican president gets elected, uh, another Republican candidate gets elected, I would hope he finds a home uh, in that administration in some appointed position. How about Ron, Ron DeSantis? You know, I think he did himself a lot of good in that debate. Uh, as you may know, his poll numbers were slipping or at least staying stagnant. Um, he came out swinging. Uh, he was articulate, forceful, and yet mature. Um, and he's got an incredible track record to point to in Florida. Uh, I particularly liked him um, singling out for criticism the George Soros-financed district attorneys that are turning our country upside down, uh, ignoring crime um, that they want to ignore. And, uh, you know, not just prosecuting, but persecuting people with whom they disagree politically. Um, so I, I like him. And he did that, incidentally, without specifically defending Trump. He was just talking about the system in general. Um, I think he pulled it off. I think he did himself. And incidentally, I think his poll numbers were up by seven points or something. In the last couple of days after the after the debate, how about Nikki Nikki Haley? I I think she probably has the best foreign policy credentials of the group. Wasn't she ambassador to the UN? Uh, and she's been involved in a lot of other foreign policy stuff too. She's just a really smart lady, and I don't think I've ever seen her more upset than she was with the uh, Vikram Swami, who we're going to talk about here in a moment too. I think. Yeah, may as well segue, segue into that. Yeah, the sure. Look, I uh, I was singularly unimpressed with him. Um, he, yeah, he's glib, he's articulate, uh, but he reminds me of a precocious 15-year-old who just wants to argue and who makes outrageous statements. Um, and, and by doing that, everybody had to rebut him. And when they rebutted him, then he had a chance to uh, offer a response. And so he got a lot of airtime. Uh, during that debate that I don't think he particularly deserved. Um, as I mentioned, Nikki Haley, she, she was really upset with him about his belief or his statement that we ought to stop funding the Ukrainians and use that money to build a wall. Well, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. 
you know, they're not, those are not mutually exclusive goals. So I, I just really uh, was not impressed with him. I hope he goes away sooner rather than later, frankly. Wow. That's a real statement. Yeah, well, you know, he's, he's a bright guy. He's got a lot of money and go home and count his money. And, um, and maybe when he grows up, who knows? Take another <laughs> shot at it, Vivek. Wow. <laughs> another shot at it. How about Tim Scott? Um, Mr. Happy. Okay. Uh, I like him. I really do like him. And what I liked about his uh, debate performance is that uh, he came across much more serious than you normally see him. Um, he's a very uplifting guy. He's a very positive guy, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I thought he got he got down to it during the debate. He, I, he, I don't know that he's going to win the nomination. He could. Uh, but if he doesn't, I think he would make a, a, a very strong vice presidential candidate. Chris Christie. How about Chris? Look, I, I wrote him off in 2012 uh, during the uh, Obama, um, who's the, who, who was our candidate, the senator from Utah. Um, oh, come on, man. I'm missing uh, here. I'll, oh, let's see. You're going to have to find Romney, them because Romney, I don't Romney, know. Romney. <laughs> Romney. We're talking so many names here. I'm losing it. Uh, so Mitt Romney is the Republican candidate. It was a very close race until that point. There was some flooding in New Jersey. FEMA, the Federal uh, Emergency Response Organization, piled some money on uh, Christie and, um, and New Jersey, which is their job, which is what they're supposed to do. Obama came to visit New Jersey, and Christie treated him like, this is in the middle, toward the very end of a camp, very tight campaign. Christie treated him like it was the second coming of Christ. And I, I just, uh, he, the guy turned me off immediately. He's a fine debater. He's a fine debater, but I have no real use for him. How about uh, Asa Hutchinson? You know, Asa Hutchinson and Doug Burgum both have the same issue. Um, they're, you know, Asa was former governor of Arkansas, Doug Burgum, former governor, I believe, of North Dakota. And they're just, despite everything, and Asa's got a lot of credentials in particular, but um they're still relatively obscure guys, and they're not particularly dynamic. Um, and I just don't see them uh, going much of anywhere. It's a credit to them that they made the debate stage. That just shows that they have people out there who, who do believe in them. Um, Doug Burgum, uh, the, 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 one of the other uh, participants, that poor guy, he, he ripped his Achilles tendon the morning of the debate playing basketball with his son. And, you know, he's just trying to burn off some steam prior to the big night. He rips his Achilles tendon, and yet he manages to hobble up onto the stage. Um, that's why he made that joke about people not saying to him, break a leg uh, during the debate. Oh, I just lost my uh, thing. It doesn't matter. I can hear with one. Um, my point is that, look, they're good guys. I just don't think they have the dynamism uh, or the organization to go much farther. On that... Who do you feel? Are you at liberty to share right now? Sure. Who do you feel is this, the strongest candidates who, who you feel would be the most effective? Well, this goes, to the, uh, this goes to the elephant in the room, really. And the elephant, I should say, that was not in the room, right? There's Donald Trump, of course. Um, and, if he, and if it winds up being him and Joe Biden, look, it's going to be a WWE grudge match, except that one... Uh, participant is going to have trouble finding the cage. Uh, 
but they're uh, it's true, you know. I mean, and I don't know that Joe Biden is going to hold out long enough to get uh, become a serious candidate. I think there's going to be a lot of people who may not vote for Trump, but they're not going to vote for Joe either because they recognize that he's just, you know, it's just not kind to him. It's just not fair to him to keep putting him in that, uh, for his family to be putting him in that. They should be the first to be saying, you know, Joe, you're done. Okay, you need to come home, relax, and, and we'll let you drive the Corvette every now and then um, with, with, with an adult guardian. And, uh, you know, just enjoy the rest of your life, man. Uh, I, so anyway, he, if, it's, if it's Trump and, and uh, Biden, it's, I still think Trump wins. I do. And, I, and incidentally, you know, Trump managed to turn a mugshot into one of the most iconic political pictures of our age. Oh of defiance. And it's interesting how that shot, that mugshot, uh, according to polls, has played all across various demographics, especially among young black men oh. who have that same resentment. And, um, you know, because they've been, you know, crushed frequently by the law one way or the other. And, um, you know, that look of that look of Trump's was it, it reminds me of in terms of its impact, uh, that famous photograph of Winston Churchill. Um, so how Trump pulled, how Trump pulled that off? I don't know. He must have been practicing in front of a mirror for two weeks. Uh, but man, he got it exactly right. Um, now that's, that's Trump. Don't, there's another elephant that was not in the room and that's Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia. He is, he has a lot of support. He's a very, very substantive guy. He's run a very tight ship as governor of Virginia. And right now he's focused on winning the Republican legislature in November uh, in Virginia. And he has a shot at that. And especially if he succeeds and, and flips the legislature, I think he's going to be a very um, uh, formidable candidate if he chooses to run. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I know he has some very substantial uh, financial backers already urging him to run with their checkbooks out, ready to go. Keith, this is a, uh, I don't know if it's, you say a strong question. It's definitely a, a different question, but I think it's absolutely relevant to this. And it's, what is your idea of great governance? And what does it look like? Great governance and effective governance. Huh. Um, First of all, a, a governance driven by the first principles of our country, where the government serves the people, the people don't serve the government, where the government asks the permission of the people uh, through uh, honest democratic elections, where the government understands that its role is to stay out of the way of the exercise of individual liberty just as much as possible without dictating to the people uh, what they should or should not think, what they should or should not do. Effective governance obviously starts at the top, and that requires leadership. A president doesn't have to have a majority opinion all the time, but he has to be able to look into the camera and coherently explain to people, this is why we're in Ukraine. This is why we need to build the border wall. This is why we need to do this. And I challenge all my fellow Americans to help us get it done to make this country better. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a rambling response. No, it's question. terrific. I think it's terrific. Great, 
Great question. And uh, there you have it. Who embodies this? Or what? Let's just say two or three, okay? Rather than one. Let's keep a little mystery. Two or three people that embody that. And we're, I I think, uh, I hope to get, uh, we have an opportunity to talk about tribalism in America and how we're broken broken into tribes. But um, I think the last person to most effectively do it was Ronald Reagan. He united a country. I mean, even the Democrats had a hard time not liking the guy. And he always lifted people up. He always encouraged people. You can agree or disagree with specific policies of his, but he was extraordinarily effective as a leader, of a, as a national leader. I don't think we've had anyone that effective. I, we haven't in my lifetime. Now, Trump is so interesting because he represents the frustrations of more than half of America, a growing percentage of Americans, and he does it, and you, you cannot keep the guy down. I think these prosecutions will ultimately um, help him because people keep looking at what they throw at him. Punch after punch after punch. He shows up the next day for a rally. You know, it's what he does. Um, and, you know, who does that? Who sticks that out that long um, and subjects himself to that? If he had not, if he had decided not to run again after the 2020 election, these, none of these charges would have been brought. None of them would have been brought. Maybe one or two in order to um, keep him from being a force in the party. But if he had totally withdrawn and said, I'm done, I'm going back to business, um, I think it's highly unlikely they would have persecuted him. So just by being so relentless uh, in his pursuit of a goal, relentless being the name of our boat, incidentally, I did not name it after him, um, but just by being so relentless, I think you know he's established himself as... Um, as one of the great leaders, you can agree or disagree with him, but he's got the guy's got guts. Is that that the attribute? And I don't know if that that's the correct word. The attribute, that level of grit, that ability to get up from the canvas, so to speak, in and uh, personally and professionally, is that something? Do you believe one is born with, or it can it be instilled? I think that every parent believes that can it can be instilled. Um, I think uh, all children uh, have an underlying uh, sense of self that they can accomplish anything. One day they wake up, they want to be an astronaut. The next day they wake up and they want to be president. Then they want to, you know, uh, lead their team to the Super Bowl. Um, and they believe that they can do these things. Uh, obviously, reality intercedes. They recognize as they get older that they have to limit their, their sphere of focus. But every parent believes that they can instill in their child uh, that kind of uh, determination. Now, I also think it takes character. Some of that is innate. I think there are some people that no matter what you do um, are not going to be particularly responsive to that sort of encouragement. But I think the great majority of people are. And that's why we got to keep trying as parents, as grandparents, and as young people coming up. Believe in yourself. Speaking of uh, believing in yourself, what's your belief on uh, Ukraine and uh, do you support the efforts or, 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 or and, and why or why not? It, I, look, yes, I, I, I support supporting Ukraine. I certainly don't support uh, some of the uh, withholding of support by President Biden that Ukraine so desperately needs. His decisions not to provide adequate air support, and I'll give you one simple solution here in a moment, uh, has cost literally thousands of young Ukrainian lives. As we speak, 
Those young men are dying because they don't have any air cover. And they're out in open fields. That's the nature of uh, that area of, uh, of Ukraine. It's just it's wide open. There's no air cover. And they could easily have uh, been protected or at least better protected by some simple steps. I'll give you one example. Now, first of all, we could have sped the delivery of uh, certain existing current uh, uh, fighter jets and reconnaissance planes uh, to Ukraine and trained their pilots up on it. We're not talking about risking American lives. It's not necessary. These people are, are incredible and they're willing to fight. Um, we did, they just need the tools. I'll give you one example, though. At Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, uh, that is a little outside of Tucson, there is an area called the Airplane Boneyard. There are 4,400 airplanes sitting in the desert doing nothing. Now, the vast majority of those are not flyable right now. But that's why you get some mechanics in there and they start borrowing parts from this plane or that plane and they start putting things together. That should have been one of the very first things that Biden did. The planes are just sitting there at Davis-Monthan, 4,400 of them, and they range from anything to little Piper, from little Piper Cubs up to, um, uh, you know, fighter jets from World War II. These planes could be used. They could be pieced together and used, and they ought to be in operation right now. So I, I'm appalled uh, by uh, Biden's inability to comprehend how important that is. I, you know, he says he doesn't want to widen the war. He doesn't want to give Russia an excuse to use nukes. They're not going to use nukes just because we provide the Ukrainians with the airplanes they need for um, um, uh, protecting themselves on the battlefield. That's just not going to happen. And the idea that it would is just it's, it's just another indication to me of uh, Joe Biden's incompetence. There are so many other things that we could be doing, and I hope we do them. Here's the deal. You can draw a direct line between our support or lack of support for Ukraine and whether China is going to attack Taiwan or its neighbors in the Asian, uh, in the, uh, in, in, in Asia, whether or not China wants, uh, takes over by force the uh, China Sea, which is one of the most heavily tra uh, traveled trade routes. I think it is the most heavily traveled trade routes, shipping routes in the world. Um, and begins to stop ships and demand uh, tribute or whatever as ships come through. Look, this is serious stuff. And I promise you that she in China is watching what Putin is able to get away with. And of course, Putin was emboldened, especially in my opinion, by the um, horrible, horribly botched withdraw American withdrawal from Afghanistan. As we speak, Many, I, I don't know the number, but I know there's a lot of people in Afghanistan who worked with us, who helped us, who assumed that if we left, they'd be able to leave too, are stuck there and they're being systematically murdered by the Taliban. That's not a false accusation. That's a fact. The Taliban, when they took over, said, oh, no, we're going to leave them alone. Yeah, just like they said, oh, no, we're going to protect women's rights. Now they're killing, murdering those people. This guy just doesn't want to stay in. I'm not going to worry about him. They, now they're systematically killing people. And, of course, they're uh, suppressing uh, just as emphatically as ever the rights of women. You know, this happened because of the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. And as a Vietnam veteran, former Marine, 
uh, I cannot help but draw comparisons between that and the uh, withdrawal by the U.S. from Vietnam and all the people we left behind there who had openly and publicly tried to help us. Those people were severely punished, if not killed. Um, so there you have it. Absolutely, yes. And, and the thing is, look, Putin claims that Ukraine is a part of Russia because it was once part of the greater Russia and of the Soviet Union. That's like saying, that's like Mexico saying that Texas is part of Mexico because it was once part of Mexico. Good luck with that. Don't mess with Texas. And the Ukrainians feel the same way. Bullshit. They say, look, this is our country. Now, is there corruption in the Ukrainian government? Of course there is. And incidentally, there's almost always been a corruption um, in fledgling democracies. That's not new. Hell, we've got it here now. So it's not as though that's particularly new. Will there be waste um, as we uh, provide financial support? Yes, no matter how many inspectors we send over, there will be creative people over there who find a way to steal the money. I think Zelensky is great. Um, I think he's doing a terrific job. And I, I believe that uh, the people of, of Ukraine have made a statement that you're just not big enough to kill our desire to have a free country. And, uh, you know, I hope we I hope we help them at every level possible. Uh, we're certainly not doing enough right now. And again, I remind you, as we speak, Ukrainian kids are dying on the battlefield because we're not providing them with equipment. They don't we're not. They're not asking for our pilots, just the equipment and the training to help provide them with their support. Something we could easily have done. On the subject of and the topic of, of money and how that is a, a factor in this, is switch gears to inflation and interest rates. You know, sure. it's, it's rather somber to, to go from lives, but uh, this may actually have a factor in it, is uh, which – You've been in finance well, for decades. What's your, what, what's your prognosis of? Look, it's all it's it's always all about the money, and it always has to be because you can't if you can't afford to do something, it's not even on the table as an alternative. Um, obviously, we've had uh, runaway inflation. Um, I think it's sixteen percent total now aggregate uh, since Joe Biden took office. It is coming down, and on Friday of this past week, um, uh, Jay Powell, who is the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. He spoke at a uh, an annual meeting of uh, central bank officers from all over the world. It's called the Jackson Hole uh, Symposium. And they meet every year. And every year, as you might imagine, everybody waits to hear from the big dog. And the chairman of the Fed will stand up and, and give his prognosis for what's going on. On Friday, and he always speaks last, and he always speaks uh, just before markets close on a Friday so that markets don't have a chance to fully react or give a knee-jerk reaction to what it is he has to say. I think it's going to play well, what he has to say, because if you look through his comments, here's what happened. He said, um, we're going to pause for a while to see what impact all of these increases in interest rates will have uh, on the economy going forward. Now, that makes sense because yeah, economists debate, but they believe that it usually takes seven to 12 months for the impact of an interest rate increase or decrease to really work its way through the economy. And he's been raising rates like a crazy man since the beginning of this year. Uh, incredible. From a quarter of a point to, what is it now, four and a half? Um, I forget exactly, but it's a lot. Um, 
incredible and biggest percentage increase uh, in history. So it's fair to say, let's step back and just see how things go. Fair enough. Uh, but I think reading between the lines, and a lot of people uh, agree with this perception, he's saying, oh and, then, oh, and then he said, but we reserve the right to raise rates if we don't like the numbers going forward. So we'll constantly review and we could raise rates again. I think he said that to prevent markets from starting to speculate on when he will begin to lower rates. I think they're done. I think they're done. And rates are, of course, plenty high with home mortgages at, what, seven and a quarter, some at seven and a half, where uh, it takes now, what, um, eight, almost $800 a month to buy an average price car. And that's on a 48-year, a 48-month uh, purchase plan. I mean, it's ridiculously expensive out there uh, with these interest rates. Uh, and of course, home mortgages, uh, you know, is really killing the, uh, the housing market. So I think they're done for now. And I, I think they may remain done. Now, here's the deal. Here's my personal opinion. They might start lowering interest rates sooner, but I would not be surprised. I think Jay Powell's a straight shooter. And I think is entirely sincere about wanting to wring inflation out. And incidentally, it's a time-honored tradition in Washington that uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman does not criticize the fiscal side of the House or Congress for spending too much money and creating the inflation, which, of course, is exactly the cause of all of this. Giving people money to not work during COVID is, of course, the cause of all this. Um, we have podcasts on that very subject. So anyway, I think that he may wait until as late as the second half of next year to start lowering rates. Now, it could happen sooner, but I like my odds on this. He, that way he's, you know, he keeps the pedal to the metal for as long as possible. Then he starts easing off just in time for a market rally prior to the election. Hmm. Um, and don't say the Fed is not political. Everybody in Washington is political. And, you know, they, if he wants anybody's cooperation, he's going to help um, make Congress look good as best he can and make the president look good. That's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. Wow. Before I ask the final question, I want to go, go back to Russia and Putin. Is a, what's your assessment of, of uh, Putin's Russia? And the, uh... it's a, and that's a great question. It's a, it's a mafia. It is a mafia. And do you hear the horn, the foghorn behind oh, yeah. me? I don't yes, know if I you do. can. Yes, I can. I can hear it. Okay, you can stop now. <laughs> there it is. I think that's going to be it. Eesh, people. Okay, now we're done. Eesh. It's not even foggy out. All right. What was the question again? Oh, Putin. What's your Putin. assessment of, yeah. of Putin? And, and, and Look, it, it, is, it is the world's largest mafia operation. It is not a political movement. It is not a government. It is a crime syndicate. Some years ago, a woman, I forget her name, wrote a great book called uh, Putin's Kleptocracy. And in that book, she started at his very beginning of his career all the way through until that present date and walked through how he surrounded himself with people who just wanted to pillage uh, all the graft that they possibly could and protect each other. So as he moved up, he appointed them around him and created the oligarchs and the, and the apparatus around to, uh, to protect him. He, um, 
he's a criminal. He kills people he doesn't agree with. Uh, he murders them. He kills people that uh, are a threat. Of course, he doesn't pull the trigger himself. No mafia Don does, uh, but he gets but he gets the job done. Uh, the Wagner Group, uh, Pershogan, who obviously just died in a um, highly suspicious plane crash, almost certain that uh, it was there was a bomb planted on the plane. Uh, is just another casualty of, of Putin. He made the mistake of not killing Putin when he was marching his army into Moscow. Uh, bought the bill of goods, stopped and turned around, got to fly around for a couple of months, and then, of course, got killed very publicly by Putin. The Wagner Group's an ex excellent example. Uh, it is not a military organization uh, per se. It is not a political organization. It is a criminal organization. Africa is the great example of that. They go in and they go to these dictators in these countries and they say, we got a deal for you. We'll make sure you live. Lucky you, because we're going to offer you protection. And we're going to uh, do what we can, a little, little politicking and try to make it a little more popular with your people. And you're going to give us the concession to this mineral or that mineral or that mineral. And as you, and we're going to throw some money at you too. So you're going to get rich. We're going to get rich and you get to live. Congratulations. Uh, and so just like a mafia, they move in, they get their peace. They get their, um, uh, uh, what is that called? Their viv, their, uh, I don't know. There's a term no. for it. I, I, I know. I, I, mean, you, you I know don't what, know what yeah. it is. Somebody is screaming. I get the essence, right but saying, I don't know yeah. exactly the word. They, they get a piece. They get their okay. piece, a big piece. I might add. And they were getting enormously rich. And of course, Putin was getting enormously rich from this as well. That's not politics. That's not military. That's just crime. That's just crime. So here we have this man who cannot travel outside the Soviet Union, or, or Russia now, because there's an international warrant out for his arrest uh, on the treatment of children during the Ukraine war. Uh, and it's just, just an awful man. You know, somebody needs to take him out. Um, of course, we just don't know what's beneath the surface, what might replace him. And that's also an issue. So that's my assessment of Vladimir Putin. It is uh, not a good one. Now we'll go back to uh, our country, obviously, that does, still affects us. But is there right. an overriding concern and, an opt and or an optimism um, that you have as we enter the, uh, the uh, presidential election year? Well, here's – yeah, here's – the thing that I'm becoming increasingly aware of, and I think most Americans are too, the increased tribalism in America that is going to lead people to vote not so much on one issue or some combination of specific issues, but really for the candidates they believe are, are most inclined to protect their culture and their tribe. Um, now, we've had a lot of that over the years, but it's getting different. I'll, I'll, incidentally, I mentioned uh, two uh, writings. First of all, Wall Street Journal this weekend had a great article on tribalism, and they have a lot of studies about how we're breaking into tribes as political parties and why it's not so much about this issue or that issue as it is about the belief that the other party is going to ruin the way of life of the other party, of the members of the other party. Uh, it's a very interesting read. I recommend that you take it, check it out. And then there is a book uh, called The Dying Citizen by Victor Davis Hanson. 
Uh, and we hope to have him on the show, Tom, as you know, uh, professor at Stanford. Uh, wonderful book, really a good book. It goes way back to ancient Greece and talks about the formation of tribes in society and how they ultimately are counterproductive to the cohesion, co the cohesive tendency to want to rise to a national standard. Um, when first people first came over from the United States, and this is a combination of both of these articles, uh, one, the book and the article, um, and some of my own thinking. When people came over uh, originally to the United States, uh, everybody wanted to aspire to this concept of being an American, an American first, that national identity. And even though there were the, the Irish and the Jews and the Italians and the people from Central Europe, like my grandparents, they nevertheless, they were, um, they aspired to be part of something bigger. And that's how they defined themselves. They didn't decide, find themselves first as I'm Italian and I live in the United States or I'm Mexican and I live in the United States. No, I'm an American. I'm an American. That was the concept. That was what people embraced. They left. Here's what's happened. Uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was brilliant at identifying what he called the forgotten man. And the liberal Democrats and the progressives ran with that, fighting for the little guy. That was tribalism based on economics, based on the haves and who wanted to protect what they have and the have-nots who had nothing to lose. So he identified the forgotten man and they ran with that for a long, long time until I might add Donald Trump came along and he reinvented the common man, not just on economic terms, but on people who feel um, angered and robbed of their national identity uh, by the, the wacko agenda of the far left. So now Trump has recaptured that and hopefully he's converted the Republican party even after he's gone to the party of the forgotten person and not the party of the Chamber of Commerce. And we still have a large wing in the Republican Party that's the Chamber of Commerce wing. That's not gonna get you anywhere. Um, you know, it's good to be pro-business, of course it is, but be pro the little guy who's starting a business. You know, emphasis on that guy. But here's the deal. The fact is, the left has, has realized that you cannot create tribes simply based on economics. Why? Because people don't stay poor. <laughs> this is America. And it's very inconvenient that they might start out poor and they might get rich and then get poor again and get rich and get poor again and so on. So it's very fluid. So you cannot identify uh, that particular category with any reliability. So they pick things that are undeniable. Color of the pigment on your skin your sex, your sexual orientation. Those are the things that can break people into tribes. Where are you originally from? When you come to America from Mexico, um, you're not just an American, you're a Mexican. You're a Mexican. No, you're not. Why'd you leave Mexico? Because you wanted something better. Well, then embrace the better. You know, if you're legal, be an American. Um, they also conflate uh, citizenship with residency, the left because that makes it easier to have a larger 
base of people who feel aggrieved based on a condition that they really have no control over, the color of their skin, their sex, and so on. Um, so they, you know, the left has, has worked hard to define these new tribes that are more permanent in nature. And that's what I think we see. And meanwhile, they conflate residency with citizenship, which is really dangerous, uh, which is really dangerous. Uh, and it's something we have to be very careful of. Uh, there's, there's a privilege to being an American citizen and a right if you were born here. Uh, but there's a privilege associated with it and an obligation. Um, that's why elections are for citizens, not for anybody else, for citizens. So anyway, I think that when we vote in November, a great number of people, maybe even a majority of people, are not going to be voting on one issue or another. Oh, there's some hot button issues. But I think they will be cited by the parties as a reason why you should vote against the other guys. And they will really be about vote for us to preserve your tribe. Vote for us to protect your tribe. That's going to be, I think, the uh, unstated or perhaps sometimes stated uh, message of the campaign. Is that good? Is that bad? We've had some of that throughout our entire history, but it has certainly reached extreme proportions now. There you have it. Excellent. Keith's assessment in 2,500 words or less. <laughs> Keith, is there anything you want to add to what you, you've discussed no, today I, in the topic? No, I want to go sailing. <laughs> no. it all comes this has that. been fun, but yeah. um, it's a beautiful day here. It's actually going to get kind of hot here in Ensenada. It's going to go up to 86 degrees. In fact, as soon as we're done, I'm closing the, the big door here behind me and uh, turning on the air conditioning. It's funny, they, they have air conditioning in the halls. That, that's the way the boat is built. And in the halls, that's where you have your sleeping areas. In the um, uh, port hall is one continuous master suite with a bathroom. And then in the starboard hall, there's two uh, bedrooms, each with their, their own tiny little bathroom. Um, and they, it, the, the boat comes with air conditioning down there, but they never had it in the salon, which is where you spend all your time. So one of the things I had installed, along with a long list of other items, like a water maker and a FLIR camera for nighttime vision and a bunch of other electronics, was um, uh, air conditioning up here in the salon. And I'm glad I did, because on a day like this, I can kick back, have the air conditioning on, even if I go sailing, because I can sail from inside the boat. I can be just cool as a cucumber. Uh, so anyway, there you have it. Uh, life is good here, it's getting a little toasty. And, but it's, the people here are very friendly. You want an adventure? Go to the grocery store in Mexico. Awesome. You know, God bless the uh, uh, translators now on your phone. Because oh. I was going from one clerk to the, to the, to the next. Bananas? Banana. <laughs> and there's a word for that. Um, you know, cinnamon. You know, so you have to go through this every single time. Because I'd go down these shelves and I think to myself, these aisles, it's got to be here. This looks like the kind of place where this would be. Uh, but I can't read anything. I don't know what it is. So anyway, that's an adventure, but it's always fun. The people here are very, very nice. They really are. Uh, very family-oriented, especially this hotel. Yeah. Keith, absolutely honored, and uh, it's a oh, real privilege being with you. I hope to well, do it again soon. Well, I hope we have more of these kinds of discussions. It's fun to just opine, and I'd like to hear more about what you're thinking as well, Tom, because you're a very smart guy, too. I appreciate um, it. 
Did you have anything you wanted to add? Not today, Tegeel. I think you did a terrific job in making it all go for a circle Great. when you brought back the answer. I want everyone to. I want everyone to know Tom's tie is surgically implanted, <laughs> so he's. Uh, <laughs> I suffered from that for a long time. So anyway, okay, Tom. Thank you very much. Thank you, folks, for listening. Uh, this is Tom Dioro, and I am Keith DeGreen, and you've been listening to As I See It. <laughs>